Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Bluminati Podcast, proudly sponsored by Homefield Apparel. Guys, make sure you go to homefieldapparel.com. They are dropping new content, new shirts, styles almost every week right now. Uh, first time users uh, of the site get 15% off with the code Daily Stampede. Again, that is first time buyers get 15% off their order with the promo code Daily Stampede. And that is site wide, folks. Site wide. So, uh, jam packed show, spring football back. Football is nearly back. I can't believe it. We had to sit through seven grueling weeks of mat drills and hype videos and tug of war contests. But now we're getting some real live action football plays uh, in shells. And then we'll get some tackling and then we'll have a, a spring game. Oh, Seth, you can feel it in the air, can't you? That's right. Everyone knows March is about college football. So it's finally here. It's spring football time. This is March, baby. That's right. That means spring football is in the air. It's a beautiful time. We sleep in January. That's right. <laughs> I'm like the uh, the Punxsutawney Phil. <laughs> I, I kind of go back to sleep through February until spring football comes back up. Exactly. You just wake up once for sign- the late signing day and then go back to sleep. That's right. Just to... Just a quick reprieve. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, a jam-packed show, as I said. Let's just jump into it. Uh, Seth, you and I had the the fine privilege over the weekend um, to go to the Florida Coaches Coalition uh, Clinic um, that was held at the West Shore Grand. It was 13 hours worth of uh, coaches speaking, uh, some just kind of pitching, uh, some doing some recruiting. Uh, 10 uh, hours of recruiting pitches. <laughs> And three hours of actual football. Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, you know, it, it, it was for it. Let's start by saying it was for a very good cause. Um, I don't know if anybody is you know watching this or, or listens to this. Um, Florida high school coaches are paid like shit, just straight up. They are not yeah. compensated well for their their time and effort you know, coaching these high school players who become college players. And, you know, Seth, I'm sure, you know, I mean, Kerwin was your high school coach, right? I mean, you, you may, you maintain these relationships with your yes. high school coaches. Right. And that's really what it boils down to is the state of Florida is losing their top talent to states like Georgia, Texas, Alabama, Tennessee, you know, places who will pay their coaches a good amount of money yeah. for for example, uh, in the state of Florida, a high school coach may get a six thousand dollars stipend on top of their 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 normal teacher, teacher salary. salary yep. uh, and that would be pretty decent. That'd be a pretty decent <laughs> six thousand. Would be a pretty decent uh, figure in Florida, right? Uh, you go to the state of Georgia, and that same coach would get a thirty thousand dollars stipend. Yeah, I had um, so. I told you about this at the clinic, but, and you, you got to meet him. Uh, Jerry Odom was the head coach I worked for at Tusculum university. Uh, his dad was a long time Florida high school coach, really, really well respected, won a lot of games. Jerry got a head coaching job in Georgia after he coached in college a little bit. He got a head coaching job in Georgia and hired his dad as a defensive coordinator after he'd been coaching in Florida for like 30, 40 years. 
he immediately made like $30,000 more as a defensive coordinator in Georgia than he did as a head coach in Florida for like 30 years. But I think if you, if you want to kind of get this plight down to how does it affect the college football fan? Well, who's done really well the last, let's say like 10 years. Cause I think this has really started to come to a head more the last 10 or 15 years. What state, college teams has done kind of poorly compared to previous regimes and what state has kind of taken over a little bit. Right. So you notice that Florida, the big three and you know, whatever, but the so-called big three in Florida has been pretty bad for the last decade, just about FSU, you know, they're, that their national championships inside the decade, but recently the quality of play has gone down. And then you look at Georgia, who's keeping a ton of people in state, their quality of play in the state has really gone up. And that's because so many coaches are leaving the high school ranks. Your best coaches are going to Georgia or Alabama. You get some of them back, but it's usually after they go, go out and make a lot of money. And then they come back in kind of their retirement years. But so it does have an effect a little bit on the quality of coaching the high school players get and the quality of player, the colleges in the state will pick up from those high schools. The players are probably still the best in Florida. But even back in the day, I talked to college coaches and and they said, you know, Texas, the best coaching's in Texas. So when you get a Texas kid, he kind of is what he is. You're not going to see a ton of growth. Florida, he basically told Florida on overall, the coaching's not great. So you can get there. They're the most like athletic kids and you, and you still have some room to coach them. His thing was he thought kids up north who didn't have spring football, they had a lot of room to go and were kind of hidden, hidden gyms. Well, that's kind of the. That was kind of the that was ten years ago, and it's not gotten better. So, yeah, that's just some, that's something. If you want to, uh, if you want to help, coaches would probably need to be paid a little bit more. But you know, there's a lot of people that probably need to be paid a little bit more. More so, it's, it's <laughs> right. a battle, and and unfortunately, uh, the attendance from the coaching side. I think they put it together in a month. So to to do it in a month, the lineup was great. If the lineup of speakers was great. Right. It seemed like they had trouble getting the word out. Um, you and me aren't coaching right now, so we're not we don't count as high school coaches. There there were probably <laughs> it seemed like and it very well may have been there were more college coaches there than high school coaches for the high school coaches convention. I I would definitely safely wager that because FAU brought basically their entire staff. Indiana brought basically their entire staff. Uh so you USF brought basically their entire offensive staff. So like there, it was, it was sparsely participated. The thing that really stuck out into my mind was I saw one coach from Hillsborough County there and they didn't show up until about 6 PM uh, right before Mario Cristobal spoke. So I, I don't know. I know USF, I think Jeff Scott's got to feel pretty good about himself that on Thursday night, uh, you know, the Saturday, the Thursday before um, this Saturday coaches clinic, he had 150 high school coaches in attendance at USF on campus, yeah. you know, having breakout sessions with their coaches. That's got to make them feel a little bit better, uh, given how sparse the crowd was uh, this past weekend. Yeah, uh, and for it, sure. It may have been a choice for some of those guys of do I go to the USF one on Thursday or do I go to this one on 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 Saturday? And a lot of them just chose to go to the USF one because that one was very highly attended. And you know, I I don't want to say USF is ducking me, but they didn't put this coaches clinic out publicly. I went to the last one. They're trying to keep me out. Like, yeah. 
you know, and and you're the one that they like. We'll see. <laughs> so uh, that's that's the crazy part. It, it's you know the the staffers at USF actually like you. It's the it's me they want to keep away and uh, and and Steeg sometimes. Um, but it, it, it was the, a legal order keeping Steeg yeah. away. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so it was a, it was a great time. There was a bunch of former USF coaches there. Uh, I will say the weirdest thing about the entire thing was like having two like girls in cocktail dress, dresses like interviewing coaches. Like it, it didn't really mesh with like. No, it, it like it feels like the themes clashed a little bit. Yeah, they were trying to do some type of video on the side, and it was. I mean, I'm sure a lot of USF fans have seen the pictures of Jeff Scott with some member of his family or something. <laughs> a, le- a legend, a legend, family member. <laughs> yeah, um, but- it was so weird. And uh, but I mean, other than that, it was fine. The food was great afterward. Uh, Seth tapped out. <laughs> before the food got there <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't do it anymore it was it it was a slog but i will say uh willie simmons the uh, yeah i missed him he was one of the best guy the famu head coach he was fantastic he was the last speaker of the night and he uh he did a really good job and um just some of the the former usf coaches i saw were uh Brian Jean-Marie, who's now the linebacker coach at Tennessee, had some great stories with him, had a great conversation with him that'll, uh, that, uh, you know, buy me a beer one day and I'll, I'll talk to you about it. It was, it was, it's pretty great. Um, I saw a bag man, excessive sweater, Raymond Woody there. He's, he's on Willie Taggart staff at FAU, uh, former running backs coach, Dante Pimpleton, uh, who's also on staff at FAU was there. Um, I saw Willie Taggart, him and I spoke for about 10 minutes. Uh, that was good to kind of catch up. We'll text, you know, here and there every few months to kind of check in, uh, with each other, you know, just, you know, got to, got to, got to keep the, you know, the, the, the networking tight. Um, right. he's doing well. Um, he was really excited about the IPF going up and like, I mean, he's got a million dollar smile, but you saw his like face light up. Uh, when he was talking about it, um, he, he's very excited for the university. He, he, you know, always has fond memories of USF and, uh, you know, he, he called the, he, you know, he talked about the potential of the on-campus stadium and he said, man, that's going to be a game changer. Once, once they got the IPF, I knew it was only a matter of time before they turned their attention toward the, the on-campus stadium. And he's, he, told me his preference of where it should go and it's you know right behind where the, the practice facility is right now the sycamore fields where the, the im fields are uh right there he, he thinks that would be a really good spot um to put the stadium you know it's right within the the footprint of the athletic department uh fairly easy access i think they may have to expand a couple of roads or two to to fit the stadium and whatnot but i think that's a, a pretty good spot for it um who else did i see Oh, former former USF player Danny Verpel was a speaker. He's the defense coordinator at Kennesaw State. He was the most lively of the bunch, I would say. Um, <laughs> he was. So, it, if Danny was a ten on the excitement scale, uh, Florida State defensive coordinator Adam Fuller was like a point four. <laughs> Yeah, tough. Uh, he, did, he did a tough act to follow. He had to follow he Tom Allen. He did have to that follow. Was, Tom that was tough. And then I don't know what he was trying to talk about. It was, 
It was it was a tough act to follow. Uh, yeah, it was, it was it was really it's just a strange strange time when the defensive coordinator is talking about movements. Like, yeah, talk about your scheme, and no one cares. Talk about your yeah. scheme. Talk your scheme. Give so, us your recruiting pitch, and then talk about your scheme. Yeah, but uh, so it was a great lineup. Um, I'm sure everyone's like, "Why are you talking about this?" So the lineup we got Tom Allen. So there's another there's another USF connection. We got him. Yeah, the Florida State even the coordinator, UCF's uh, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach spoke. Billy Napier spoke. Mario Cristobal spoke at the end, but Jeff Scott was the two o'clock speaker, and he had he brought a he brought a little bit of excitement. Not quite, he wasn't quite at the Verpeil level of of uh, excitement, but he was he was pretty high up there. He was he was pretty high up there. His recruiting pitch, uh, I think, could use a little bit tightening up i think it was a crisp like 40 minute recruiting uh pitch i liked it because i you know got to learn a lot uh about you know where all the coaches are are recruiting what high schools they're responsible for so that was really neat to kind of um see and you know he 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 talked he talked a little bit more about the grit score and kind of their off-season program um i thought that was some good stuff and that's stuff that coaches can actually use Mm -hmm. i know um one of the coaches i i'm uh, close with and, and spoke with a bunch was like, Hey, did you get a picture of that? Send it to me. So I know, I know the high school coaches really liked his presentation and had a lot of good things to say. He got into a little bit of RPO stuff at the very end, but um, some of that stuff is stuff we've seen, but there was, it was cool. He, the, I liked him kind of going through the grit score. He showed a bunch of different things, but he was, he was one of the better uh, speakers for sure of, of the day. So. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just kind of pulling up the the grit score. So they had their final mat drill or practice of winter workout was on Friday. So this was like their most updated. So Will Jones coming off a torn ACL top grit score. Of a- I can give you the I can give you the grading scale real quick before you go through the actual yeah. scores. So four, it's a zero to four scale. So every workout they were given a grade by the strength coaches. And the coaches on the scene we gave them a grade. A four is like this is almost like a GPA type scale. A four is championship level effort and leadership above and beyond. So you went above above and beyond the call of duty there. Three is a winning level of effort and leadership more than required. Two is a five hundred level effort, just does what is asked, nothing more. So you just you show up, you do the workout, nothing else. One is a losing level of effort. Low energy, must be pushed, skips reps, and the zero is the guy that's trying to quit, trying to look for a way out. So that zero to four scale, um, and Will Jones, right, coming off an ACL, was number one. I think you have the whole top ten, don't you? That I do. That I do. So Will Jones was number one coming off a torn ACL, which is impressive, I think. Uh, you know, I think we all saw this year uh, his absence was uh, felt pretty harshly uh and Jeff Scott defensive said, secondary and Jeff Scott did say he we thought he was going to be our best defensive player so that was interesting I don't I don't think he'd said that before I'm not sure if I'd heard that or if you'd heard that but he said he was our best defensive we thought he was our best defensive player and we lost him the the Friday before the game or the Thursday before the or whenever before the game I can was it a Thursday night game so we lost him the Tuesday yeah before the game so that's a tough blow right before the season starts. And that kind of jibes what we heard last year where, where Matt Hill didn't think he's going to be playing very much. Mm-hmm. If you're behind the best player on the team, you're probably, your reps probably weren't 
extended in practice too. <laughs> right. So. And uh, I, I'm not I'm not sure if this grit score uh, takes into account Will Jones's um, you know aptitude and and skill level of throwing a couple of teammates under the bus <laughs> while also announcing that he's tore his ACL. Uh, so I, I think that may I don't know if that bumps up the grit score or, or takes away from it, but otherwise it pretty good. Uh, the reserve linebacker Demars Bellamy was number two with a three point five nine. Seth, you and I have loved this guy for two years now. He yeah. he is uh, big explosive linebacker he's a heat-seeking missile and yeah. he 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 showed it in flashes so it's good to see him kind of and take, there were, them, there were take rumb- the next step there were rumblings about kind of the way he practiced and effort and things like that you know so when he was younger so to see him kind of second there that means he's made a big step and took a big leap forward he's got all the talent in the world it seems like from what the little bit we've seen so that's a that's a good 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 news for your linebacking core Absolutely. Uh, Brad Cecil. I mean, obviously, I mean, he's the elder statesman of, of the roster coming in in third. Uh, Rashawn Yates, who uh, Jeff Scott, uh, you know, him and I were talking after his uh, after his session. And he said just uh, Yates's improvement in maturity and to everything top to bottom is uh, night and day compared to when he got here. Um and it, it's it's showing. Uh, Smoke Davis came and uh, rounded up the top five. Uh, Darian Grant, another guy who's kind of muddled through, you know, three or four years here, and is you know maybe starting to turn the corner as he sees you know the, the light at the end of the tunnel of college football. You know, it you know his his time is coming. That you know college football is not going to be an option anymore. Demetrius Harris, Mikaela Point, Chris Carter, Brian Norris, all high effort, high energy guys. I mean, we know what Chris Carter did in that Temple game with that, you know, basically game saving tackle in the first quarter. Uh, Brian Norris is another one of those guys who never really could find his footing. You know, was a running back, came in as a running back, switched to linebacker, finally kind of getting his bearings. Um, you know, key contributor on special teams. So it was good to see that those top 10 um, guys get, you know, some praise in front of a bunch of, you know, college coaches. There are a lot of college coaches in, in, in those sessions. So it's nice to see, see that. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, I think honestly, my biggest takeaway, and I probably should have known this um, from, from the entire day on Saturday was how, much Billy Napier is into analytics. Like I know he's got like 49 analysts on staff and you know, everybody's made that made the joke about it, but like he is very, very into analytics and, you know, breaking it down. I think his team at Louisiana, he had a stat up on the PowerPoint slide presentation that his offense at Louisiana last year was 17 for 17 on third downs in one to three yards to go. And yeah, and in in the the fringe area. In the fringe area, which is basically plus forty. Right you're right outside of the from where your kicker can make it to the red zone. So he was big on those are he called he got it from Bill Belichick. Four point plays when you can turn a field goal into an opportunity to score a touchdown. Or defensively, we can kill a drive and force a field goal and not allow a touchdown. Four point plays, finishing in the red zone, finishing in the fringe area. That's kind of we referenced that quite a bit last season. The good teams do it, and that's what they were really good at it at Louisiana. They were sixty two percent or something like that on the season. So 
Yeah, he's a he's an interesting guy. He's really, really, really analytical. Surprising. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that he was a little like Bobby Hill, but he's like crazy. <laughs> he's crazy analytical. So. Damn it, Bobby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was it was a uh, you know exciting uh, weekend. I you know it really got me through last week. I'll be perfectly honest. I was very excited about it, and it it paid off. Uh, you know, spent an hour talking offensive line play with Mario Cristobal, and uh, I mean that was. I was just engaged throughout. I mean, I mean, maybe I don't understand it all because I mean, offensive line play is one of the most confusing things that you can like try to teach like a normal person. So getting to learn from, from him was a, was a real treat. Yeah. What's interesting is you get to see these guys person out a little bit and you get to see, okay, this guy's, I get why he's a good, like Jeff Scott, you understand once you sit up with in, in, especially in person, you get to hear him talk. You're like, okay, I understand why this guy's, he told a great, a couple of great stories too, but I understand why this guy's a good recruiter. Cristobal, you kind of, after hearing him talk, you're like, this guy's really engaging, you know, funny, laid back, you know, talking about Cobra Kai, you know, he, he was, he was all over the place, <laughs> but he was, but he was engaged. He was really engaging. Like, okay, I see why this guy's a really good recruiter. Like, right. So it, that that part of the clinics are interesting. We'll have to get you to one where they talk a little bit more X's and O's. But uh, it, it's it was good to kind of see all these all these different coaches from around the state of Florida and guys with Florida connections come back and and talk about a bunch of different things. So it was a lot of fun. They're going to do it again next year. I, I would imagine they're going to keep it in Tampa because it's such a great location for all these coaches out of town to fly into. So this will, we'll be reporting on this again next year, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited. Hopefully, things start to change. I know uh, John Peacock, the uh, head coach at Venice, kind of kind of bowed up at, at Billy Napier about what these college coaches can do. And yeah, what are you guys uh, going to do, basically? And uh, you know, Billy Billy said that he talked to the governor about it. Um, how in depth that conversation was on, you know. You know, the University of Florida Day at the legislature. Um, no. Who knows? Hey, man, but, it's uh, you can you can apply upward pressure on the college coaches. These high school coaches can if they uh, if they can. Uh, the problem is a lot of these private school coaches get paid pretty well. So the St. Thomas Aquinas is they're probably not having this issue. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think the Jesuit head coaches and the coaching yeah. staffs really so, struggling. Um, so that sure. so, so that's there's a little bit of a problem there, but. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what comes with it. It was a fun event regardless, but uh, I think it'll only get better from here on out. Yeah, absolutely. And let's uh, let's change gears. Um, it's March 1st, right? It's still March 1st. USF had held their first spring practice of uh, the year, uh, one of 15. So one down, 14 to go. Spring game April 9th at 6 p.m. at Ray J. Uh, they'll have an alumni halftime show. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm excited to see what this offense and defense looks like. Uh, if you guys haven't checked it out, go on to the dailystampede.com where we previewed every single position group ahead of spring practice. And that's where we're going to kind of take it where I, I wanted to to get with you, Seth. I know uh, we, we kind of took over and, and did the, the, previews so we didn't really get to hear your thoughts um i wanted to to capture you know your thoughts on mm-hmm. what, what are you most excited about for spring ball as we kind of get into it i'm most excited about the new coordinators just seeing what kind of different flavor they bring to it um it seems like in i'm not i, I think i'm not sure if he said it in his press conference or if he said it in the in the clinic it all starts running together but 
They're going to be a four-two-five team on defense. They're going to have four down linemen, which is a bit of a departure from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we had some guys in here that were uh, really big fans of the four down last year, and it seemed to be worked quite a bit when they went to it. So they're going to be doing that. And then just hearing Trickett talk a little bit more, hearing him in the press conference last week, I thought I felt you know I felt pretty good about what we had talked about with regards to the offense because it seemed to be a lot of the same things he was saying, and so it seems like we're uh, we were kind of seeing the the right things there, and that uh, hopefully that means they're seeing the right things, <laughs> or we're both wrong. But um, <laughs> but so that was I, I'm interested to see how he I kind of puts this into practice because what he said in the press conference was great. Talked about making easy decisions on the quarterback, making it quarterback friendly, doing what your guys can do, not what you can put on the board. I've heard him, I've heard him say that other places too. That so really seems to be something he really focuses on. So it's not just about what crazy plays he can think of. It's about what can your players actually do? Mm -hmm. Um, And he also stressed getting guys, your best players, the ball. So we probably, I'm, I'm hoping we don't see like a, Jimmy Horn touched the ball two times for like 40 yards and then don't hear from him again for, for 30 game minutes. Um, that kind of thing. Uh, and getting the guys and getting your best players in space with the ball. He also talked about that. And if you watched any of the practice clips today, when you saw the full um, offense together, you saw some a good bit of screen to the receivers with the lineman getting out, out in front. So I, I, I think it's not going to be totally – um, it's not going to be totally RPO um, reliant. It's going to be kind of a mix of things and and what the guys do well and make it easy on them. And some screens will be back in. That'll be nice to see. So I'm I, that's what I'm most excited about more than just kind of seeing. There's a lot of new new faces, and you always want to see kind of the progression guys make um, with the off season. But for me, that's right. the scheme side because I think that's really important, and that could makes a make a big difference. Yeah, and that was kind of one of the themes of the clinic uh, too on Saturday. A lot of the you know the coaches and the speakers, they basically said you know it's not it's all great and well and good if you you can it looks pretty on the board, but can your players execute the play? And that's just kind of was a reoccurring theme uh, throughout the clinic, and that was a reoccurring theme for us every time we spoke during the season last year. Is like that play must it looks pretty and fantastic on the board but can your players do it i think it's a and i think it's a young coach thing too where because i was i did it a ton when i was young calling plays it's like this play will work like we need to run it but if it doesn't work during the week then you start to like are you just going to keep it in and and run it anyways sometimes you do but and, and sometimes it works out well for you but most of the time the if they can't do it during the week, they're not going to be able to do it on Friday or Saturday because mm-hmm. you're you're putting them, you know, at, at time, you'll make practice tough, but you also sometimes give them perfect conditions because we're only going to call the, this play against this defense, which it's a perfect play against this defense. And if it doesn't work against the perfect defense, then you got to get rid of that. So, you know, that I think that's something that young coaches have to figure out a little bit. And maybe that was an issue last year with the young offensive coordinator. Um, but you know, it, it's it's kind of good to see. I think this is the a, a, a good you're getting a guy with a ton of play calling experience um at this level and lower levels. So and he's been around football a long time. So you're getting a guy that's gonna be well prepared, <laughs> yeah. understand the task at hand and and try to maximize what you have. 
Yeah. And, and Willie Simmons said this uh, at the clinic as well. Um, he, he said if his staff, he, he, you know, he's the offensive play caller. He gets final say on whatever uh, they do. But if they put in a play, they have to take out a play because there's only so much, you know, yeah. CPU inside a player's head. So if they want to add, you know, counter GT, they've got to take out something that doesn't work. And for them, it was power. They just don't they don't run power. Yeah. You, you, it's the, the he called it the plus minus rule. If I'm adding something, I've got to take away something because these players, there's only so much space in these players' heads between school, social life, whatever, that they can't fully comprehend everything that you do. So limit limit the possibilities of a player screwing up because they're they're thinking and not playing. Um, I yeah. thought that that's something to you know keep an eye on as well. I, I think that's been the most interesting interesting thing I've kind of learned doing this, watching you know preparing every week to watch like one team and kind of scout them. When I was doing the video stuff um, during the previous two seasons, is is watching all these different college offenses and how they operate and really seeing them over game to game to game. How and there's not a ton like the really good offenses. They don't do. They kind of do what they do. And you see, so you think that oh, they're changing up a bunch. They're adding a new bunch of new equals every week. You look at these really good offenses. It's kind of like they do what they do, and they're just really good at it. And you saw that from Napier as well at the clinic. He talked about how he he showed this like play calling sheet, and he's basically like he he they've got the, uh, to the analytics they basically have the field how many plays you get in this field area per game typically and so that's how they break down their play call sheet so he's like if i'm calling if it's a second and long from the middle of the field the quarterback knows we've got three plays in that section that's it cuz that's all we need so you don't there's not it's not like the whole sheet is available to you every play you you, you whittle it down to what the guys do well and what they can execute and what they're comfortable and familiar with. And that's all you need to do. Your guys just have to go out and do it. So, you know, that all kind of jives well with, with Trickett and what he said. And so that'll be, it'll be really interesting to see him put this into play and, and see what they look like in the spring game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on, on the flip side of that set, there's always, uh, you know, you can be most excited about something. What, what are you least excited about? What about spring practice football are, are you least excited about? That we don't get to see much of it. I mean, that's that's really that's fair. That's, that's fair. really it. like we get to see the spring game. Um, and that's going to be, you know, it, depending. It, now, what was good to hear is I think Jeff Scott said they, they're the roster seems big enough that they might actually split the teams up and draft, yeah, which will which will lead which may lead to more competitive game than ones versus twos and we're, you know, it turns into almost like an NBA all-star game type vibe where it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, I, that's probably what I'm least excited about. Um, also probably just, you know, all the hype that happens every spring and everyone's, everyone looks great. Everyone's going to be really good. And then you get yourself all excited and then, then it ends and then you have <laughs> to wait a long time <laughs> before the season starts. So um, yeah, that, that's probably it for me. Just the, access just being able to see more it's it's it, it would be it'd be nice especially with the new systems going to be able to like watch a full practice or something but yeah on the cards you know it, it was an interesting um 
you know, all the coaches uh, at the clinic were saying, you know, we're, we're an open book. There are no secrets. Come on down to practice. And then Jeff Scott, I think he saw us there. At least he saw me there. Yeah. He was like, well, the practices are close to the public, but if you reach out, you can, yeah. if you're a college coach, or if you're a high school coach, you can, you can come out, bring your players. But he's like, the, the practices are close to the public. He made sure to, yeah. I got to get back in the game. <laughs> yeah. He said, we really then, need you. What, to latch. Then, what, then what do they do? They we really need you to latch on to a high school team around here. So, man i mean what are you doing this jazz would um, need like an analyst yeah exactly <laughs> i mean they won't, probably, turn, they won't turn jesuit down yeah that's probably like a forty thousand dollar a year analyst job right there <laughs> and you know it's a decent area I like the campus at jesuit for sure um and you mentioned it you know everybody gets really high about spring like how much stock do you put into spring because personally i've been burned multiple times by kind of extrapolating what I see in spring, like spring of last year, Kay Fortin was the guy. I mean, technically I was right. Uh, (laughs) That's the, I'm chalking that one up to an extenuating (laughs) circumstance. (laughs) So technically I was right. I, I said uh, in our Slack channel, uh, watching spring practice, the few times I was able to get out there, Kate's the guy, Jaron Williams, isn't it? And technically, I was uh, technically I was right. It's just that Cade didn't was also not it. I'm a a Cade Fortin truther, so (laughs) that's gonna you'll never get me off that. (laughs) So I'm gonna I'm gonna wear that one. Um, Man, so as he's a he's a walk on Arkansas when he starts in the SEC championship game next year, you're gonna be. I try to tell you guys, nobody want to listen. What if what if he starts in the Beatle Miss? That would be some sweet payback. Oh, sure. oh man! Um, circle your calendar, yes. folks. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm a Kate Fortin truther, so I don't believe that was wrong. Um, but yeah, I remember. I remember um, when I was in high school, or no, I was in high school. Must have been college. I remember um, seeing Florida fans talk about how terrible Cam Newton was because he had a tough spring game. But it was because he had like the backup offensive line and, and Carlos Dunlap and that defense that like won the national championship <laughs> was just like it was like going against turnstiles. So he was about to get murdered like every play. So then everyone's like, oh, he sucks. Remember that spring game? And then I'm like, this guy's an animal. What are you talking? And then he goes to Juco and then goes to Auburn. I'm like, this guy is an animal. And he was an animal. So, yeah, I think spring game performance sometimes. But then you look last year, Xavier Weaver kind of came out of nowhere, right, and, and and had a really good spring game, and that carried over into the season. So I think you can get something out of it, but it's not like uh, one unit success, I think, necessary. I think maybe individual success can be a little bit. Um, but, like, you know, if the defense looks really good in the spring game, well, they might be good, but all, maybe that means the offense is bad, or you know, there's there's stuff like that too. So, right, take it with a grain of salt. But I, I think you can see um, individual individual players. If you guys are making plays, I think that'll. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And you know, uh, you know, full disclosure, I was so in on Elijah Mack, and I think it was 2017, 2018, and then he did absolutely nothing. Transferred to Miami State, uh, where he averaged, I think, like. Th- 3.4 yards of carry for Sterling Gilbert. Uh, and then, you know, obviously infamously on this year website, 2015, at least I wasn't part of it. Colin Sherwin said Quentin Flowers was also not the answer after the 2015 spring game. So, uh, 
So there, there's also that. Um, so it's really, a, I'm a terrible judge of, you know, how much a spring really matters. Uh, you know, you can see potential all day, every day, and then it just never translate. They just, he just, you know, had that, that four week spurt where they gave it their all. And then, then the summer comes and then it's fall camp and it's really freaking hot in the state of Florida and that they, they just kind of slog their way through. So I, I worry, um, you know, we may see some of that, you know, but all three quarters, you know, all three quarterbacks in the spring game threw the ball pretty darn well. And we saw, you know, with Timmy, it was the deep balls for him in the spring game. And that was his MO early on in the season. And then, you know, that he threw the ball like 200 times over the last four weeks of the <laughs> season. So, uh, you know, a little bit more balance. And I wanted to kind of pull some interesting nuggets as we kind of went through the, the, the previews and and things. So I was responsible for the linebacker preview and uh, I was thinking back, I know Steve, Steve had that long diatribe on uh, last week about going to the four, two, five and uh, thinking that it was the last time the bulls ran the four, two, five. He was just dead wrong, dead wrong, dead wrong. But yeah, so he got, he got suspended. Um, but in 2019, USF did run the 425 quite a bit. It was, I think it was their base package. They they went to a 335 sometimes, but 425 was their base in 20, 2019 under Brian uh, Jean Marie, right? Antonio Greer and Dwayne Boyles combined for 21 tackles for loss and three sacks in 2019. In 2020, with Glenn Spencer moving to a 335. Uh, so 2020, 2021, so what, 21 games-ish? They had 21 tackles for loss in two years and six sacks. So, I mean, we we both, I think we've always seen, like, Dwayne Boyles is a, he's a guy you want attacking the quarterback at all times. Yeah. You want Antonio Greer stuffing the middle, creating havoc, you know, stopping the runner for tackles for loss. That's what they're very, very good at. And I think getting back to the four-two-five will help them excel at what they do best. And it, it really goes back to what Trickett said, you know, and, and Jeff Scott putting your best players in, you know, good positions to, for them to succeed. And I think that's really what's going to help. And then obviously, you know, the clearing uh, thing about this defense is the defensive line was atrocious last year. Like no two ways about it. Uh, I think they, the, as a unit, uh, as a defense, they tied for last in the nation in sacks with nine and it was worse the year before. And, uh, you know, there's a reoccurring theme here about what happened in 2021 and 2020. Uh, But the retooled defensive line may help free up Greer and Boyles to make more splash plays, what they do best. So I'm excited to see what they can do. What are are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I, I think in terms of the defensive line, they, they played hard. I thought they played a decent technique, but they were just not very big last year. And they allowed them to get swallowed up. But they did do better when they went to four down. Just to that helps keep some guys off. If you have some decent size up front and the four with four down, you can at least keep those linemen off your linebackers. And, you know, Greer and Boyles get the keep those off, keep the linemen off them, let them go make plays. And I think they'll be more comfortable. 
I always thought I, I don't know why they didn't have Boyles line up as a as like a edge rusher more often in that defense. It was really weird. And that's why Jeff Scott said again, I don't know if it was at the clinic or if it was in his press conference this week. He felt like they needed to offensively, he wanted to tweak a few things, but keep pretty much the same system, same verbiage. Defensively, he's like, I wanted to, a wholesale change. I wanted to be totally different. Good call. Um, but I, I think it, I think it will fit the players a lot uh, a lot better. And they have, I don't think they have a real lack of back end players. That's something that felt like it was going to be a weakness a few years ago. You had some guys, you know, graduate. You had some guys leave, and they seem to have bodies there. They were a lot of the bodies were injured last year, but. If you get those guys back to kind of full speed and full strength, you're going to have a pretty good group of five guys up there at DB. So you'll probably be getting your best 11 on the field. And then you can do sub packages and stuff where, you know, you, you can you can get uh, Boyles as a pass rusher. You can do all that kind of stuff. But 4-2-5, I think it's your best players on the field and it matches modern offenses where you're going to see it. You see a ton of 4-2-5 now. It's a lot of people's base because it allows that extra DB on the field to match people going a ton of 11 personnel and, and that kind of stuff. So, right. And it ju- just to, to kind of refresh everyone. So this, this is like the pre 2022 roster as it stands right now with the, the, the people who are already in and then the guys coming in, in June um, one, two, three, four, so there's four defense events with at least one start. Um, you got Jason Vaughn, Darian Grant, uh, Jatorian Hansford, the transfer from Missouri, uh, Tramel Logan. And then you've got Levante Camille, Keon Terrell, Eddie Kelly, Michael Williams coming in, Michael Williams and Eddie Kelly, uh, you know, some top tier recruits, uh, you know, high three star recruits coming in uh, at the edge position. And then, you know, defensive tackle, you've got Rashawn Yates, Nick Bags from Temple, uh, Rashad Chaney, uh, who was from. Virginia, no, Virginia Tech. I can't remember. I don't recall. Cheney, I can't remember. Someone in the comments tell me where Cheney came from. I forget. Uh, Clyde Pender from North Carolina. And he then looked, you got. Uh, he looked pretty good in the video I saw today, by the way. Pender? He looked uh, not small. No, no, he he looked like a big boy. Uh, Jalen Hobbs is the Juco transfer uh, from Coffeyville. And then Jaquez Williams, who uh, was the. Um, you know the the gray shirt from tw- the 2021 class. So there there are options. I'm excited to see how they all kind of mesh together. I think uh, you know an interior rotation of Yates, Bags, Pinder. It, it, it's a lot. It's I think it's a better option uh, than than it was last year or the year before. And especially, I mean, linebacker. Ugh, the linebacker. Um, position is I'm excited for it. So you've got Greer and Boyles, right? And then you have DJ Gordon, the Minnesota transfer. You've who, got who wasn't in the top of the grit scale, but he was the guy that people were raving about, right? Yeah. People during the winter workouts. So he's uh it'll be interesting to see kind of where he fits in. Yep. And then so you've and then Tamar's Bellamy, as we talked about, top ten grit score, top five grit score. I think he was number two, if I'm not mistaken. Uh Deontay Hunter, who was the the freshman. Uh you got Brian Norris, uh, Mac Harris, CJ Ross. I mean, there there are mo- more options than previously thought. And then in the secondary, 
they they attacked the secondary with some tenacity in the transfer portal, bringing in Ray Thornton from Clemson, bringing in uh, Mars Brown from – God, there's so many transfers it's so hard to keep – I want to say he was Kansas State too. Kansas State guy. I think. I, I think he was. I think he was Kansas State along with uh, with Will Jones. But um, getting I believe, Will, I, so. I, I think getting Will Jones back is going to be vital for whatever they do. You know, best player uh, on the defense according to Jeff Scott. Yeah. God bless Matthew Hill, but uh, he got nine. He got he got nine starts, so he's got experience too. So yeah, as a converted wide receiver playing safety and playing extensive minutes, man, it's, it's tough to do. I'll, I'll grant him that. So, you know, a year under his belt, maybe some better coaching because the, the safeties coach last year was kind of bad too. <laughs> it kind of went hand in hand, uh, getting, you know, maybe getting Gabe Neely in, uh, you know, getting in the rotation, uh, Jordan Blackman, and then at corner Dequan Evans, TJ Robinson, Christian Williams, uh, Jalen Herring's played some, Ben Knox has played some, uh, to Marcus Simpson, who uh, earned one of the chips that they give uh, give out uh, each practice, he earned one of the chips today, which is good for him. He was the Eastern Michigan transfer from last year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, AJ Hamilton got some has some run. Dequan Stanley, Jalen Stokes. Uh, there, there are options. Did you say Townsville as well? Yeah, Chris Townsville. Yep, uh, I got him listed at safety. Yeah, he, I think they, from reports I saw today, he played a little bit of slot corner. Um, so, and he was a guy that his freshman year was great. And we were kind of looking for him last year. And it turns out maybe he had some type of injury that lingered or something. But he was a guy I was hoping to see a lot more of last season. So, mm-hmm. it's glad to see he's kind of back at full speed. I think he had an interception today in practice. So, there, there's some good buy. You're you're just seeing the depth of the quality of depth has gotten so much better since when Jeff Scott took over the program. Now I don't do they have that uh, that elite starting unit that that's going to go out and win a ton of games. I don't know that yet. But top to bottom, this roster is much much improved compared to when Jeff Scott arrived on campus. So they're 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 doing their they're doing their job there. They just gotta now go in some games. Yeah, that's the next step, right? They've really, they've really made over this roster uh, in in three years, and Jeff Scott kind of said it, and I've heard I heard other coaches saying it at the clinic. This is basically year two because I mean that twenty twenty season it was just an absolute wash. You didn't have spring practice, uh, you know, a lot of. Jeff Scott kind of really harped on this uh, during the clinic about how, you know, if, if a guy maybe had a scratchy throat or, you know, his ear hurt, yeah. his ear hurt or something, they kind of was like, Hey, I can't practice today. Um, so it's getting the guys who want to be there. Um, I think that's what we're seeing now and it, it can only make this program better. Now yeah. they, uh, you know, Bill Colony of uh, ESPN, you know, came out with the the AAC preview. I think it was today, this morning, and they have a top fifty schedule. I mean, they're I think three of their first four opponents are also in the top fifty, uh, like uh, of opponents this year. It's a really tough schedule. Um, four, I think you know we talked about it last time on the pod. You know, four is probably baseline. Anything less is getting squirrely. Anything less than three is getting real squirrely. Anything above four is gravy. What what was interesting is when you look at that, he had, I think he had USF at like 94th in S&P. And then he had Tulsa, I believe, was next up. And they were like 84-ish, next highest, I believe. It may have been Tulsa or Tulane. 
one of the other, they always get them confused. But USF's chance of a bowl game was 12%, and their chance of a bowl game was like 53, I think, just in that little bit of a difference. And it's it's just that goes to show like how hard the schedule is outside of the conference. Like you could be pretty close, but you're out of conference schedule so much tougher. You have a 12% chance to make a bowl where theirs is like they're gonna make a bowl half the time. So it is not an easy schedule, but you got to start picking up some wins. Um, and you hope that leads to a bowl game. That'd be a great, great step here this season, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've kind of beat around the bush a little bit. Let's kind of discuss the quarterback. Uh, it's, I guess it's going to be a true competition. Uh, Travis, they, you know, the official USF football account sent out a pretty nice throw from Travis Marsh to Martin Dawson for a touchdown, uh, you know, in drills today. I think he has a legitimate shot to be the starter. I'm not sure if it's, I, I don't know if it's like a 30% chance or a 50 50 chance, but I think he's got uh, a decent shot to be a starter. What does, I mean, I think we could, we'll talk about it every single time we talk about football. What does Timmy have to do to entrench himself as the starter going forward? Um, to me, and, and this could be, he could be helped a lot by scheme, but I thought, and this is something that Trickett mentioned in his introductory press conferences, you know, being decisive. And that's, that's a word I, I used last year with, talking about Timmy is when he was decisive and made decisions and through with conviction, he, I thought he was really good. There's just a lot of times where he seemed to not be decisive, didn't have the conviction. Some of it, maybe he had some pressure in front of him, but when he was, I thought last year when he was decisive, he knew where he was going with the ball. He was pretty good. Even for a freshman, he made a bunch of good plays when he had that, when he didn't have indecision, but there was a ton of indecision with him last year. That could have been the scheme. So you're hoping that gets cleaned up. And if it does, I think just ceiling, he probably has the highest ceiling because he's just so athletic and 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 we've seen him make some great throws. But um, his floor, we saw a lot of his floor last year too, but I, that could have been scheme not really helping him out. So if you know, for me, what I would like to see out of him is just be decisive, get the ball out of your hands, you know, I don't to me like it. He will not be improved if in the spring game you just see him running around and then he throws a he chucks up a fifty yard touchdown after scrambling for like five six seconds. That that doesn't show me anything. I want to see him just bang get his step, which which you saw him in high school, right? When he'd been in the system, he he was comfortable with it. He probably understood like he was decisive. Bang, take your steps, throw the ball. When he does that, he's really good. When he doesn't then it gets a little bit tougher. So that's kind of what I want to see out of him. The offense tailored to him, easy decisions. And from some of the stuff I saw today, it looked like they were doing some of the RPO stuff that um, Jeff Scott showed at the clinic, but we saw last year that was like the, you know, extended triple option stuff, which would suit him really well. And I thought he was, I thought he was a decent decision maker in the run game in terms of giving and, and, and pitching the option game and that kind of stuff. But, just be a little bit more decisive in the pass game. Get the ball out of your hand and, and just kind of throw with your natural th- your throwing motion. Don't think too much. Just let it go. 
Yeah. And I think we, you know, we saw bits and pieces of that. I think him and, and unfortunately Bryce Miller had a pretty good rapport going uh, early on in the season before Bryce got hurt. I think he was kind of the safety blanket for him a little bit and then kind of switched to Xavier Weaver. Um, I think for, for Travis Marsh, right. I mean, it's basically the same kind of thing, right. Make better decisions. I think he has like seven career interceptions or turnovers in like, two and a half games. And I think I, you know, yeah, some of that was the rain at ECU last year, but that Cincinnati game in 2020, when he started, I think he threw three interceptions in the first quarter and a half of play. And it was just kind of a, uh, you know, it was, it was a mess. I think for him, I think that's gotta be the next point for him. I think we all, we all love his arm. He's got a great arm and he stands in the pocket, but He's got to make better decisions with the football. And, you know, I'm glad he's back because if it was just spring practice with Timmy McLean, Byron Brown, who's glowing reviews so far, Jeff Scott said at the clinic, uh, the the players are already, you know, gravitating toward him as a, as a true freshman quarterback. Top 15 uh, grit score out of, I think this is like 120 guys or 100 plus guys. Yeah, 112 guys, top 15. I mean, how, how crappy must it be to be the last guy? Like, what do you like? Do you think it's like, does it Work dip harder. under? Yeah, suck less. Uh, do you no. think it dips under like two? Do you think it's like 1.85? Like, do you think 112 is like not even like that person through seven weeks of winter conditioning is like not even doing like the bare minimum? No, I sure hope not. Uh, you're hoping that would be interesting. How many, how many of the 112 are over two? That would be interesting. That, that would probably give you a good indication of where you're at as a team. Yeah. How many, how many at worst do what they're supposed to do? Yeah. That'd be interesting. I, I, I would hope there's not many under that two. If level. any, right. And like two, five is probably the cutoff. Like, you know, I, I think some colleges, uh, I think USF is one of like, there's, you know, you've got to have like a 2.5 minimum GPA to, to play. I think it must, it's got to be like that too. Like a two, five is like the bare minimum. We'll accept. This, is, this is taking the C's get degrees to like a, a very, Insane point. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so it'll be exciting. And then obviously uh, Jordan Smith uh, going back to quarterback after spending a year at safety. He had so- shoulder surgery, so he's not going to get a lot of run in spring. Um, we'll see what he can do in fall camp. I think that's another guy who kind of got lost in the shuffle between the coaching changes and stuff. He's a legacy guy, which is unfortunate. Uh, his his dad played at USF. Uh you know, in the, in the late nineties, early two thousand. So it's tough to, you know, I'm glad he's sticking through it, but he has been kind of bounced around and, you know, Jaquez Evans was the the pick over him to be like the third quarterback in that 2018, 2019 year. And he just kind of bounced around uh, from there. So hopefully he kind of catches his footing here soon and uh, provides a, another you know, leadership presence. He's the, he's the elder statesman in the room. Uh, so there's that. I think it, it certainly seems like they're going to put a premium on uh, the quarterback's athleticism a little bit more. And if you got a guy that was able to make the move over to the defensive back, you probably got a pretty athletic guy there. So hopefully this new system will kind of mesh well with his talents mm-hmm. and he can, you know, put his best foot forward. Yeah, I mean, always the the thought on him when he did come out of high school was he would eventually end up at wide receiver or uh, safety or something. So it made sense for the move. But, uh, you know, happy to see what he can do when he gets healthy. 
Um, let's see. What else did I want to talk about? Oh, I wanted to ask you an either or question. Okay. Uh, blind, I'm going to give you a player A, player B, and see uh, see which one you'd rather have. All right. All right. So player A, mm-hmm. 160 carries, 671 yards, five receptions, 50 yards. Uh-huh. Player B, 136 carries, 804 yards, 15 catches, 129 yards. Who's your player? Player B. Do you know who player B is? Who is it? It's the combination of Kelly Joyner and Brian Batie compared to Jaron Mangum when you take away touchdowns in the Vulturings. Yeah. All right. I'm down with that. I like both those guys. I, so, I, yeah, it would be, uh, I think it would be good to see them get touched. I, I feel like they really thought that Mangum and Timmy really worked well together. And I think you could like call him his personal bodyguard. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I thought they kind of liked that pairing and, and, and what they were doing in the run game. But, you know, those other guys have got to touch the ball in different ways, which I think they will in the system. They, they're not, they don't seem to be afraid to throw the ball to the back get the back out and do a bunch of different things with them. So hopefully we see it where there there's all three of those guys are getting some playing time and, and able to kind of help produce some explosive plays. Cause those are guys that can do it for sure. Like take away like 20, 25 carries from Jeremy Mangum and spread them out between Kelly Joyner, Bribe and T. I think that's a better utilization of, of talent. I think. Right. And, yeah, well, I, they just—I think they can. What's interesting is Batie and Joyner are more alike, so that you know that's probably why there's more of a split there. But you know, they can all provide some really, really good stuff. I think Joyner was one of the guys today that got a chip or whatever, so he must have had a good day one. Yep. But they've got plenty of firepower in the backfield um, to kind of play any way you want. And hey, maybe just maybe we'll see two of them on the field at the same time. Don't get carried away. Okay. Don't get carried away. Um, but I, I think just getting those guys in space has been a just a necessity. And I want to ask you this because I know you, you've you you know you cover USF and, and watch USF and watch Florida, but I mean you holistically you watch a lot of college football. Mm-hmm. And the running backs last year caught 20 balls as a room. It doesn't seem to me like for all of the the advancements and, uh, you know, trickery and, uh, you know, forward thinking college football has when it comes to offensive play calling. It really seems like across the board, across the nation, they running backs just are not part of the passing game. It's just a blanket thing. I was looking at the, the NCAA numbers. Uh, there's, I think, two guys, two receive, two running backs in the top fifty. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, Alvin Kamara is one of the best running backs in the NFL because he runs for you know thirteen hundred yards and then catches ninety passes for eight hundred and fifty yards. Like, I don't understand. Like, how is the NFL better at utilizing the talent that they have in the passing game compared to college football, where they do a whole bunch of different crap? I think a lot because a lot of those guys have the ball in their belly when 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 uh, throws are happening because RPOs and play action and how 
a lot of those guys are used as like they're not going on the pass. They're either they're part of the read. So I think that's part of it, especially USF last year. Um, I was screaming all year, not literally, but in my brain, it was crying out for like some more screens to the, if you're getting, you know, Timmy's running around there for with like a chicken with his head cut off because he's got a bunch guys in his face and they're blitzing eight dudes. Hey, maybe, maybe mixing a screen to one of your running backs. It's really fast and good in the open field. I would have thought that was interesting, uh, but they didn't do that. But I, I think this, um, you got it. Those guys are some of your best playmakers. And I, Eric's got a question about Mikey Dukes. I think he's he's right. He's an explo- he's supposed to be an explosive guy as well, right? So he he's kind of in yeah. that. He's uh he's maybe a little bit bigger than those guys. He's listed at five ten one ninety eight. So, but he was an explosive guy too. So these guys that can just that's the best thing you can do as a coach and as a quarterback. If I can throw a five yard pass and get an eighty yard touchdown out of it, that's what I want to do. So how can I do how can I do that the most? And just get these guys the ball in space and let them make plays. You know, like and I was like kind of looking back through, you know, USF uh, you know, up until 2016. Um so 2020, no one caught the ball uh out of the backfield. Uh 2019, I think Jordan Cronkright led the team in receptions with like eleven. Uh twenty eighteen, he did it again with like fifteen. Twenty seventeen. Dearness Johnson will, uh, led the running back room with 11. And then in 2016, uh, so Rodney Adams, I think he caught like about 70 balls. And then tied for second on the team in catches were Moreland Mack and Dearness Johnson. Now, I'm not saying any of the running backs in this r- running back room are NFL starting running backs like Marlon Mack when he's healthy and Dearness Johnson as he showed for the Browns of the last year. But these guys have you you can see that these guys can do damage in space i feel like just handcuffing them and only handing the ball off seems like a, a poor use of talent just holistically like a, a, as not even just usf focus but like there's a lot of talent across the country at the running back position who can do some damage in the passing game that just never happens same with the tight ends chris carter has seven catch seven career catches and he is the leading returning tight end uh reception leader coming into the 2022 season it just doesn't make any sense and you know you see mitchell wilcox you know in the nfl like providing value for the Bengals uh, on their super bowl run and sterling gilbert never threw in the ball i i don't understand why why receiver you know running back and tight end are just so wholly ignored at a lot of colleges uh, in the passing yeah, game. Yeah, and and the the great thing about those two positions is those are the positions you're going to get matched up on linebackers typically. So if you've got some guys there that can that are really explosive and can win in space, well, you're going to get them matched up on linebackers who aren't going to be able to cover them. So you can take advantage of that if you if you want to and if it's part of your scheme. But with USF doing so much RPO stuff, where a lot of times the t- the tight end was Either, you know, they're on split zone, he's kicking out the backside in, or he's part of a RPO where he, he's running in the flat and they can pull it and throw it to him, you know. Th- and then the back's in the, the backfield action, you know, that he's not going to get a chance to make a reception there. So I think that was part of it, but those guys can definitely be used better. They need to get, you know, I, if I'm trying to get like, I'm, you go through and kind of think, okay, who do I need to get touches? I think Trickett's talked about that in the past. So he's got a, he's got on his play call sheet, I need to make sure I get these guy touches. He talks about feeding 
his best players <laughs> the ball. So that'll be nice to see you say, okay, I need to get Jimmy Horn 10 touches. I need to get Brian Batie at least five or six touches. I need to get Kelly Joyner at least five or six touches. I need to get Mangum five or six. It's kind of just spread those touches out, but let those guys get them and do things that they can uh, kind of in their, in their space. Yeah, and, and to Eric's point, I, I think Holden Wilson is, is a sleeper candidate. I didn't know how to list him. He warms up what the wide receivers, but he can line up as an in-line tight end. So it was really interesting kind of where he kind of fits in. Uh, Jeff Scott's first signing day, he said, you guys are going to look up in three years. We're like, oh, wow, Holden Willis. And I think we may see that. We saw sparks of it last year, late in the year. I think we'll see a little bit more of it for, uh, from him, depending on how they they want to utilize him. Um, I think Jason Littlejohn, uh, the tight end transfer from the College of Sequoia, he put on some weight uh, last season to move to tight end and had a pretty productive year. And now he's playing D1 football, so uh, FBS football. So it, he could be an option as well, uh, along with Gunnar Greenwald, who's a very highly touted tight end recruit coming uh coming into the 2021 season uh so again it just goes back to there's a lot of there's more talent uh, on this roster than in previous seasons so that's the exciting part um let's let's wrap this up uh with i know seth's favorite part uh, of the show always uh we're going to talk about some basketball and we're going to talk about some bat and ball sports real quick um so we <laughs> we uh <clears throat> so let's start with men's basketball um yeah let's get the bad thing out of the way first right so men's basketball has been uh, atrocious this year would be kind i think is safe to say i th- believe 15 of their 20 losses are by 10 or more points. Uh, They did beat Cincinnati uh, on Saturday on a last second buzzer beater from Russell Chua, who has kind of been a a revelation. He uh, earned AAC honor roll this past week. Uh, Thanks in large part. I think he averaged over the week uh, 15 and a half points and seven and a half rebounds. Um, They close out their home slate Thursday versus Memphis. It's senior night. Um, And then they close the season out. Uh, the regular season at Temple on Sunday. And then the conference tournament is March 10th through the 13th. Um, I could see this going either way. They could lose both and finish the season eight and 22 going into the conference tournament. I could see them splitting it. I don't think they'll win both. I think Memphis has kind of gotten back on the right track uh, a little bit uh, in conference play um, from their hiccups. Uh, they have beaten Temple already, um, you know, at home uh, or, you know, early February. So we'll see if they can carry that on, on the road. Um, so Thursday's on ESPNU at 9 p.m. Uh, senior night, uh, late start. Oh, God. But at least I'll get to go home first. So that's nice. So I'll be there. Uh, I I would expect Brian Gregory to be to return next season, folks. Um, just my gut instinct. There's about like four and a half million dollars left on his contract. I would expect a pretty good chunk of that would be buyout money. Um, what that figure is, we don't know because the contract's behind a DSO and they are not subject to sunshine laws. And uh, they can't even tell me if there's a secondary contract with the university, the USF foundation to even 
they can't even acknowledge that there's even the existence of perhaps a second contract that would provide buyout information. So is being bad at men's basketball worth an on-campus football stadium? Like for a couple more years. I mean, not forever. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they, what's shocking to me is so the last time that USF men's basketball went to the NCAA tournament, they did not play at the Yangling Center for any of their home games because it was getting renovated. They played down at Emily and they took, uh, you know, Auburn, who's one of the top five teams in the country, uh, to the wire at Emily earlier this year and have been blown out almost all of the time at home. So I think we really, really need to look into just playing all home games at Emily just from now on. Like trade, trade the on-campus stadium, uh, you know, trade Ray J for Emily and then get the on-campus football stadium and then do away with the Yingling Center or something because it it is bad. It's bad juju gumbo. It's so bad there. Um, and they play terribly at home for we're some do, reason. We're going to do a live pod uh, seance to exercise the, the, the demons of the terrible shooting there. Yeah, it's so bad. Um, but yeah, I would expect Brian Gregory back. I don't know. Uh, uh, players come back. Who knows? Um, but I would I would definitely expect Brian Gregory to return to South Florida next year as head coach. Um, just that's just a lot of money to to pay someone to not coach at when at USF's pretty cash draft as they're trying to build a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so unless there's a donor that she knows willing to sign like a, you know, maybe like a $5 million check to not to go away and then also hire a, a coach to replace them. Uh, but I don't think that's happening anytime soon. So there, that's men's basketball, women's basketball tomorrow is. So when you hear this, it's today, Wednesday. Hopefully Vito gets this up in time. They face Houston at home. It's senior night. It's the 50th anniversary of USF basketball celebration. There's a throwback Jersey that I have been assured is pretty awesome. Um, So there's something to look out for, Uh, you know, Shea Leverett and uh, Betty Mononka will be uh, honored on senior night. Uh, Betty, I think is top five all time. In rebounds, I think she crossed over the 900 rebound plateau either Sunday or last Thursday. Um, she's just been a force uh, while she's been at USF. She's really uh, encapsulated the what it means to be a, a bull uh, and play for, for Coach Fernandez. So tomorrow, 7 p.m., Yingling Center, please be there. Support this team. It's uh, they've, they've gone through a lot of crap. Um, so we'll go from there. Conference tournament, March, uh, March 7th through the 10th in Fort Worth, uh, Texas. So women's tournament first, men's tournament after uh, to, to get it going. And then let's let's wrap this up with baseball and uh, softball. Baseball won tonight. Uh, they beat uh, FIU 7-0. Orion Kirkring uh, started, had five and a third innings pitch, struck out nine. Uh, they swept Stony Brook um, after a you know up and down start. Um, I will say you know as of right now, Nick Gonzalez, Matt Ruiz, and uh, Roberto Pena are not on the active roster. 
They are still with the team. They're just not on the active roster. They had 181 combined starts on last year's Super Regional team. Uh, so second, short, and center field, or uh, Payne has played a bunch of positions already this year. Uh, Carmen Lane is an animal. Um, so we'll see how that shakes out. I, I wouldn't expect them anytime soon, but I've, I was wrong before once. I remember it well. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what and happens. It wasn't about Cade Ford. <laughs> it, it wasn't about Cade Ford, and damn it. Uh, and it wasn't about Georgina Cork either because she is an ace. And I said it the first day she stepped on campus. And, uh, and that's another thing Colin got wrong that I was, she, he poo pooed the fact that she was a, a, a Great Britain national team player. And whole buddy was he wrong. Uh, Georgina Cork has been absolutely on fire this year. So where, do, where does her career stand up in terms of just personal individual accomplishment in terms of all of Uf, USF athletics? Where do you think it stacks up? It's up there. Uh, I've, I always thought Sarah Nevins was like the gold standard for athletic achievement. She, uh, Ken Erickson rode Sarah Nevins arm to uh, the call, the women's college world series in 2012, which is coming up the 10 year anniversary. I think if Ken wants another shot at a college world series, he's going to have to do the exact same thing this year. There's not a, there's right now as it stands currently at 10, 19 PM on March 3rd, there's not a number two pitcher and you need, you need that second pitcher, uh, especially when it comes to tournament days, when you're playing like five games in three days, five games in four days, six six games in five days, you need that second person to give them a break. Um, so Cork is eight and zero when she starts, and USF is two and three when she doesn't. So that's that's really what it comes down to. She so could, had, could she if the what does she need to do to become the most decorated or the best individual athlete? In USF history, this is that attainable for her this year? She, if she goes nuts, or you think it's it, it? It's pretty close. I know she's pretty close to Sarah Devin's counting numbers strikeout wise. Uh, there is the little caveat that like Georgina Cork got like 15 games in 2020 that still count toward her stats without no. burning her eligibility. So you've got to kind of account for that. I think. People who know Sarah Nemens would also tell you the exact same thing um, that, well, I mean, she got like 20 extra games, like give Sarah Nevins, give Sarah Nevis 20 extra games. Right. Um, and it, it would work out the same. Yeah. She's really close to, to Sarah Nevins strikeout record. Um, let me, let me see what her pitching numbers are this year. So she's thrown 55 innings. She has given up one earned run. She has a 0.13 ERA. Which is fourth in the country. Yep. And she has uh, 79 strikeouts to only four walks. Uh, Opponents are batting 126 against her. Like this. Like. Yeah, it's pretty good. She's got the fourth. I just saw she's got the fourth best ERA, but everyone in front of her, like I think the max in terms of innings pitch is like 16 in front of her. So she's way like her sample size is much larger. Yeah. She's right there with him. So it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. There are three weeks into the season. She has been named pitcher of the week, three weeks in a row. Uh, she is 
the gold standard when it comes to USF athletics right now. I don't think there's anyone touching what she can do currently, currently playing at USF or she's, I I would say that she is the best athlete to come through USF since Quentin flowers and Marla Mack played here. I think I'm pretty safe in saying that now. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with that. Yep. I, I have convinced myself, I've talked myself out of it, and then convinced myself again. She is the best athlete USF has had since Quentin Flowers and Marlon Mack played at USF. There you go. T-shirts. And so let me let me grab their schedule real quick. Um, let me see. Let me see. So they, they play two games uh, at Florida top, Gulf Coast. They're top 25 now, by the way. Yeah, 23rd uh, in the country, I believe, according to D1 Softball. And a couple of others, uh, they they play at Florida Gulf Coast on Wednesday, two games, and then they welcome in uh, Illinois, Chicago, FAMU, Illinois, Chicago, Army, and Florida, uh, and FAMU again on Sunday. So they play uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven games in one, two, three, four, five days. I would expect Georgina to pitch like five of them, maybe four. So she's going to get, she's going to get her county numbers up. And the thing that's really kind of she struggled with in the past is beating like the really good teams. And she was able to do that. Michigan, uh, Notre Dame, Oklahoma state. She was able to do that. Uh, Wisconsin. She was able to beat the the really good teams this year that she hasn't been able to do in the past. Um, I don't, I don't think she pitched in the Florida game. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was Pope. I think it was popping. Um, yeah, she didn't, she didn't pitch in the Florida game. Um, so good stuff. Um, let's wrap up. It's been, it's been a long one. Oh God, an hour and 17 minutes, man. Vito, you're gonna have a lot of fun, uh, editing this, but again, it was just a jam packed week, you know, spring practice starts, they'll practice Thursday, they'll practice Saturday. And then I believe they go Monday, Tuesday, Thursday next week, and then the following week is spring break. If I'm not mistaken, I'll, I'll have to double check the schedule on that, or it could be another week of Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday before the spring break. Uh, but exciting times ahead. I, you know, football's heading in the right direction. Uh, softball, baseball are heading in the right direction. Women's basketball, God bless them, they're fighting through it. Uh, you know, luckily, hopefully, we only have to withstand like three more men's basketball games. So there's that. To what look color do they? What color does the men's basketball team wear at home? Is it all white? Yeah. So is, this, is it like a stormtrooper type shooting thing? No, stormtroopers have better accuracy. <laughs> That's rough. All right, that's bad. Like, cause I mean, a stormtrooper will like, like, didn't they get like Han Solo like in the shoulder? And I think didn't Luke get shot once? So like there's at least two times that a stormtrooper has actually hit an intended target. And they kind of took out a bunch of Ewoks too in the third one. If you don't, if like they kind of went through those little fellas. That was more mechanized than right. It was, it was more of the, uh, the walkers taking those out. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah so there's some there's some live fire. I mean, well. are, are the a, the ATT walkers, uh, are, are they, Driven by a stormtrooper, or are they just by themselves? Like, are they? I believe there were ATST walkers on. 
on indoor the mood of indoor rather um <laughs> so maybe there's something there. so we just need basically somebody to drive one of the players like a <laughs> me- mechanized thing and then okay. yeah yeah exactly so i mean if we if we just had that we'd be fine yeah yeah so, if right. we easy fix yeah exactly they just hopefully no one like ties our legs around Mm, yeah, or no uh, two pieces, two big logs coming in. <laughs> yeah, like two guys, set, two guys setting a pick at once on the same guy. <laughs> <We're up. laughs> All right, man, this has gone off the rails. I appreciate you guys tuning in, listening. Uh, be sure to download and subscribe. Uh, we've got YouTube, we've got uh, Twitter, Stampede SBN, uh, at Seth Varnador, at Bulls Nathan SBN. Uh, be sure we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you like and subscribe, rate us uh, five stars though, because that'd be rude if you you did anything less. Um, again, appreciate Home Field Apparel. Check out homefieldapparel.com for sponsoring this podcast. Fit, new users, new buyers get fifteen percent off with the promo code. Daily Stampede, and that is off your order site-wide. Be sure to do so. For Seth, Nathan, this has been the Blue Podcast. Signing off. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.